Thank you for being a listener of the We Are LA Tech podcast. To support and collaborate with the community, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener. You'll have ad-free episodes and join us on our monthly Zoom calls with other podcast listeners and get to know the community at wearelatech.love. Linked in the show notes. We're starting to see traction. We're starting to see it grow up, but we knew that the only way to really continue to grow it at a level that was going to accelerate it into a company from kind of this thing we'd been working on was for all of us to go all in. Imagine living your normal day and getting your car fueled up on demand. Seriously, check out LA Startup Refill Fuel and enter code WEARLATECH for $10 off. That's Refill Fuel. It's amazing. Literally, you can be anywhere and have your gas totally topped off the tank and not even have to deal with it. No more gas stations. So go to RefillFuel.com. That's R-E-F-I-L-L-F-U-E-L.com. Code WeRLATech for $10 off. We could not do this without the community believing in our vision together. We Are LA Tech is independently funded, funded by you, the community. So to support We Are LA Tech, go to patreon.com slash we are LA Tech. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash we are LA Tech. Hey, everyone. My name is Z Holly, guest hosting for Esprit Devora on the We Are LA Tech podcast and Great to be back here. Uh, today, I have a really inspiring entrepreneur who's doing some really important things with technology, games, trying to teach math, education, and entertainment in one, right? Maria Burns-Artiz, founder of Seven Generation Games. Welcome. Thank you so much. Awesome. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us about the company. So, yeah, Seven Generation Games, we make educational video games that teach math. We use social studies as a storyline. We incorporate some elements of language arts, and we're actually... Um, coming out with fully bilingual line of games now, so English and Spanish. Um, and the goal was to come up with educational video games that are actually video games, not just worksheets, say, with little animations, but real video games where as you play it, you learn. So, if, say, by the time you, you know, save the princess in Super Mario, you'd mastered everything up to pre-algebra. That's the kind of games we're trying to create and experiences. Amazing. So how do you actually teach that in saving... Saving the prince. I think we should save the prince, to be honest. <laughs> how do you uh, how do you actually teach math in that? So we put the math in context. One of the biggest things, and I talk about this all the time, is no one runs into my office and is like, quick, what's five times seven? But <laughs> if you need to know that you have five sick people and you need seven of this herb or an epidemic will spread, suddenly you're putting it in context. And there's this application to it within the virtual world and that translates into the real world. And then within our games, if you get the answer wrong, we have some AI built in. So if you say, you know, 12, it'll say, well, did you maybe add instead of multiply? If you get it wrong twice, we take them within the games, there's learning modules. So you can kind of, they can pick from a couple of different things. They can watch a video, they can do an activity um, that reinforces that concept. So they're actually learning it within the context of the game so they can go back and try it again, as opposed to, Oh, you got it wrong. Here's another problem. Oh, you got it wrong. Here's another problem. Cause a lot of times it's this barrier to, I don't understand how to do it. So when you teach them how to do it, explain it, and then they're putting it actually into practice, it reinforces that use of it. Very cool. So how do you, so you already have some of these games already in place? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we have five games and we have four more coming out in the next four months and then a Amazing. couple more after that. 
how do you, how are, is it the kids or the parents? How do people find these games? What's the process? How do you find your market really? Yeah, well, we're available on basically as many things as we can be. So we are available for, uh, through our website. That's kind of the main landing page where people can find it. Sevengenerationgames.com slash buy. We're in the app store. We have some apps, um, both in Google Play and the Apple uh, um, app store for iPad specifically. Uh, we have a game on Steam. We try and be everywhere as possible, as much as possible. <laughs> mm-hmm. What inspired the company? Well, there were three of us that founded it. Um, and I, my one of my co-founders, she, had, she has a PhD in educational psychology. She's a statistician. And when she was getting her PhD, uh, it was in the 80s, she really, really wanted to create a game to teach kids math. Um, but the technology that we have now just didn't exist. So it was kind of in the back of her mind for a long time. And she said, okay, I'm going to quit my job or, or scale back and, and start this. So her, our other co-founder who was working in the defense industry doing simulation software um, and myself, and she said, let's do it. So we went all in and we said, okay, let's try and, and do it. Cause we were all doing things that we, we had reached that point where we weren't really thrilled with what we were doing. And we thought, well, life is too short to do things you don't necessarily want to do. So <laughs> we started this company and, you know, it was insane. And we, Certainly, though, we look at it every day. We like what we're doing. Doesn't mean every day it's fun, but we know that we're doing the right thing every day. How long have you been doing it? We well, we started in early 2013 is when we all said, "Okay, let's start on this. Um, We all went full time on it in 2015. So we spent some time doing like the MVP and testing it and making sure it actually did teach and doing all that. And then, like I said, 2015, we've been all in since then. So So what was that? Two years. (laughs) Amazing. So what was that turning point that made you say, all right, we're all in? We had applied to an accelerator. Uh, Boom Tech is out of uh, Salt Lake City, and they had an ed tech vertical. And so when we got into that, we thought, well, we're starting to see traction. We're starting to see it grow. But we knew that the only way to really continue to grow it at a level that was going to accelerate it into a company from kind of this thing we'd been working on was for all of us to go all in. Um, So we did that. We did a fundraising round around that and then got enough money that we could maybe make it, um, you know, take to fully quit and go all in is kind of scary, especially I have three small children. Oh, my um, goodness. You know, uh, my co-founders have a kid in college, you know, so it's one of those things. But we thought, let's do it. So and the thing is, once you pull that kind of safety net away, things change. And no matter what, it's not that we weren't working hard on it in the first place, but there's this shift. And I think you need that to really, really mm focus on your company because it's it's hard because, you know, otherwise things come up and you get distracted. And if you're building a company and your whole goal is to actually see it succeed, you need to really be all, all in. Yeah, there's kind of almost a sense of desperation. <laughs> yeah, panic. You have to <laughs> sometimes. Yeah, definitely. I know I, I once interviewed on my other podcast, uh, this uh, performance psychologist, and he, he asked the question, would you rather back a... a, a an athlete or whoever, somebody who was doing something out of passion or out of desperation, absolutely desperation is because you have no other choice. Right, right. <laughs> Hopefully amazing. it's a combination of the two. But. Well, true, right. I know. So you had both. That's exciting. Um, and so where is the company now? And what is your role in the company? So I am CEO and co-founder and the three of us have kind of, I wouldn't say breaking everything down because everybody's a little bit involved in everything, but I... My other two co-founders both come from backgrounds of having been programmers. Um, so they are both our technical co-founders. I run our narrative um, 
so basically our creative teams, we have a narrative team, a game design team, an artwork team. So I run those uh, endeavors and then kind of do uh, myself and one of my co-founders split kind of business development. So I'm working on partnerships and um, we're looking at, you know, all kinds of, you know, enterprise sales, all those kind of things. So we share that business development part and then I lead the creative team. Mm. And uh, so what are some of those partnerships that you're developing? Because I'm really interested in how you how you reach these kids, uh, yeah. because it's not it's not sounds like it's not just in the app store, hoping that people are searching for games. Right. You know, it, no, not at all. And I, if anybody, if that's their strategy, I would recommend <laughs> trying a different approach. Give up. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're so we've looked at and we go back and forth a lot because the reality is we're looking to reach kids through schools and in after school programs, uh, you know, programs. Uh, that they're doing to supplement whatever they're doing in the classroom. Um, so we do a lot of trying to sell to schools, which is uh, if you can find a different approach for whatever your company is, I really encourage it because selling to schools is just mm-hmm. um, a nightmare. And anyone who t- sells to schools will tell you that. Even huge, you know, multi-billion dollar companies, and you're like, school sales, and like, I know, it's awful mm-hmm. um, because it's such a slow process and it takes forever. But so a lot of it is just, like we've been selling to schools really, you know, we started that process probably two years ago um, and it's at least a two year cycle because you have to get in front of the right people and they have to make, they make decisions slowly. And yeah. Oh yeah. Well, so and these are the smaller districts that we're talking mm-hmm. about, you know? Um, so yeah, we do a lot of, of dealing with schools and after school programs and looking at um, programs that kind of serve students maybe outside of that uh, district level umbrella because if somebody forgot out how to crack that, man. <laughs> well, it seems like a real opportunity loss for the schools and the kids as well. The fact that it takes so long, but you know, there's, it's a balance. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, and so we try and balance through the two as well. Cause we kind of see, you know, and people say you have to pick, are you an enterprise or are you a consumer product? And for us, we kind of think it's a little bit of both because we started just thinking we were going to sell the schools. And then, you know, we're on social media and things. We had people saying, well, can parents buy it? And my answer was, Yes, for $10, of course they can, you know, because mm-hmm. anybody wants to give me money. I am in a, fa- a fan of that. So <laughs> they kind of feed into each other because my daughter will come home from school and say, we're using X software. We're using seven generation games at school. Can I use it at home? And as a parent, I've said, well, the school's probably vetted it. So sure, you can use it at home. And as a school, you know, if a parent comes and says, hey, I'm using seven generation games for my kid. They really like it. It's teaching them math. It's teaching them history. Then the school's far more likely to listen to the parent than to me as a salesperson for the company. So they do kind of feed into each other, but it is a slow process. And and that's one of the tough things I think about education is there's so much potential for technology and to change things and, and improve learning outcomes, but it is such a slow process and a lot of people either run out of money or just give up. And so far we have done neither. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. So you mentioned how a long time ago one of your co-founders wanted to do this, but the technology wasn't there. Why now? What What is it about the technology that lets you do this? Well, I mean, if you just look at and we were talking about that was in the 80s, right? So there was, you know, you had, you know, Nintendo hadn't even come out or the, you know, the when she was talking about. So you're looking at now you have things like Unity, you have things like even people can program basic HTML games. So there's a lot of technology there that exists that didn't used to. I mean, the fact that you can go in and make 3D games um, with a very small team. I mean, people can download, you know, think there's a free version of Unity that you can use to build your games that would not even have been conceivable as a huge multi-billion dollar gaming industry 30 years ago. 
just now exists and it's become so much easier. Now, it's not easy to do, but it's easier to do than it used to be it, because it didn't used to exist. It's easier to access. Um, so there's a lot lower barriers to entry to getting into that. Now, you still have to have the technical ability and the skills and the artwork team and all of those other things to pull it together. But you can actually do things now. And I think no matter what industry, if you're looking at film, you're looking at music, you can do all of those things now that you used to need a huge sound system. You know, the tools are amazing to do all these things. Also, distribution yeah. is a lot easier, which is probably a double-edged sword because it's easier for other people too. <laughs> right. And well, and that's the thing when you were saying about the App Store. I mean, you look at the Apple App Store and, and this number obviously changes all of the time, but there's over, I believe, 80,000 educational apps alone. And that's tagged educational, oh right? God. So you have all of these people putting out all of these things that you can kind of throw in there. And, and the big thing for anyone, and I think probably for any app, is how do you rise above that noise? Mm-hmm. You know, because you want to say, well, we have, you know, efficacy data. We have all of these other things. We didn't just throw on that tag and to shift around that. So the distribution is still something that I think anybody's trying to figure out as well. What is your comp? Well, who would you say is your biggest competition and, and how do you differentiate yourself? You know, <clears throat> there are a lot of of educational games and apps and things out there. The reality is, I would say our biggest competition when we're looking at schools is the status quo because schools don't really want to change and they're not really open to quick experimentation, a lot of them. So that's the biggest challenge we face every day isn't that people are saying, oh, we're using this product, we're using that, but it's more, we're just not really going to change what we're doing. Um, You know, and there's a lot, like I said, there's a lot of, Math apps out there from, you know, Dragonbox, there's ST Math, there's, you know, a lot of schools use IXL, which, you know, people would say is more of a flashcard than a, a game. Um, but there's the reality is they're kind of competitors, but I also look at it's not a zero sum game. You don't have one book on your bookshelf. So it's not like there's one app that you have to, uh, you know, knock off, you know, or it's just figuring out how to kind of balance all of those. It almost feels like just growing the pie and raising the awareness of the fact that you can have a really fun game that's also educational. It's just going to create a bigger market for your sector of games, I would think, too. Yeah. Well, and, and part of the problem, too, is is sometimes there's been lots of things out there that failed to deliver outcomes. So a mm. lot of people say, well, I tried a math game or I tried a, and it didn't really work. And so you're kind of competing against, you know, companies that maybe aren't even there anymore that mm. don't exist. But because, you know, I tried it, it's, you know, it's not like, well, I went to a restaurant and I didn't like it. So I never went to another restaurant again. But it's that kind of constant balance of trying to fight your way through. So why L.A.? Well, we're originally from here, uh, myself and all my co-founders. Did you did you grow up here? I did. I grew up actually uh, about three blocks from here. Oh, wild. (laughs) So, yeah. And it's funny, though, we I grew up here. I ended up I was gone for 15 years. I lived on uh in New York. I lived on the East Coast, kind of lived in the Midwest for a little bit. Um, and actually, it comes back to when we were founding the company, my two co-founders were here. And we had, my husband had done a fellowship and we were kind of trying to figure out where to go. And um, we'd been up actually up in Silicon Valley. And I just, it was not the place for me. It's got its own vibe. It's got its own kind of, you know, tech thing that I just, it was, it didn't work for me. And I, we thought, well, where could we move? We could move anywhere. And the answer was here because L.A. is the greatest place in the whole wide world. <laughs> um, but from a tech standpoint, it is, too, because I think you go up and you're in Silicon Valley. And I will never forget because somebody was saying, oh, somebody sold their company for $200 million. And 
Someone's like, oh, what a failure, you know, <laughs> it was such a, and to me, I don't, that idea of like, uh, let me tell you, if anyone wants to set me to sell my company for $200 million, I am in. But that idea that, you know, it's not big enough, it's not big enough. And LA, I think is a little bit more reasonable. And how can you, you know, I mean, obviously there's still a standard, but it's just a little bit more laid back, I think, mm. and for the so best. So does that laid back for the best, like, could that also not put enough pressure on people to succeed or, or how, how, how do you? Uh... You know, I think to me, it's more like there's less negativity. And, mm. uh, you know, I, I think it's partly up onto the founder succeed. You know what I mean? So there's companies all over the country, all over the world that, you know, don't have to be in Silicon Valley to make it, you know. And for me, I think you have to be where you think is best for your company. And sometimes, you know, if you're doing, say, an ag tech kind of thing in agriculture, then you shouldn't probably be in LA and you probably shouldn't be in Silicon Valley. You should actually be where your consumers are. So I think it really just depends on mm. on what sector you're in. Um, and like I said, I think LA for us, it was just a fit and we've been able to get really good talent and we've been able to find really good people. And, you know, I think when you're figuring out where to set up your startup, you know, like I said, we're from LA, so we think it's the greatest place in the world. But Really, in this day and age, you just need to be close to an airport, you know, <laughs> as ideally one where you don't have to transfer six times to get wherever you want to go. Well, and it sounds like it's more, maybe more inclusive and encouraging and and uh, especially for, you know, ed tech, which has a different, um, different kind of meaning of success, maybe. Yeah, well, that's true for sure, because I think part of it, too, what I found, you know, like I said, I was only in Silicon Valley for a year, so it was not necessarily, I'm not ingrained in in that culture, but there's this real quick, you know, if you didn't make it in eight months, if you haven't made it in 12 months, well, then good luck. You know, ed tech is a much slower cycle because of the selling cycle, because you want to do, or at least in our case, we wanted to test it. So we did two years of efficacy testing. So we did one year, we got results that showed that students improved, but we wanted to go back and do it another year because in part, my co-founder is a statistician. And so she said, well, there could be lots of reasons. There could be, you know, outliers, there could be any kind of anomaly. So when we did it the second year and we got it, then we, were, we felt really good going out and starting to sell it. Um, but I think in Silicon Valley, there's this push toward being really fast. And, and that doesn't mean you should necessarily take 15 years to get a product out. But there's a different mentality. Like I said, it's a different mindset and it's worked for a lot of companies. I mean, lots of people made lots of money up there, but I think it was good for us because you feel a little bit, like I said, the pressure we have is definitely on ourselves and we do have investors that we have to answer to. And um, but it's not this, oh, my God, we didn't make a million dollars last week. We're in trouble. How are you capitalized? How are uh, where did our money come from? Yeah, we actually um, went and we have. Our, the bulk of our funding, we've had over $1.3 million of our funding came from small business innovation and research grants from the federal government, oh, wow. actually under the U.S. Department of Agriculture, of all folks. Agriculture? Because we started and we were looking at solving problems, and this goes back to why Silicon Valley wasn't a play for, place for us. I think a lot of problems, and this isn't necessarily me alone in this, there was actually a New York Times article saying people are looking to solve problems for the 1% or the 10%, you know, well, I can't find a parking space. So let me get a valet, you know, app <laughs> that will come and get my car. And we really thought that when we were looking at education, the kids who need it the most are kids in communities that probably aren't getting it. Um, I'll tell you, educational software is not being developed for rural communities. And this goes back to why Silicon Valley was also not a fit, because I met with someone and they said, why aren't you making everything to run over the web 
because everybody's going to, you know, one-to-one and they have these network connectivity and the internet's so great. But if you go out to uh, Devil's Lake, North Dakota, they do not have one-to-one and they do not have internet. And seriously, what you used to get from AOL dial up here in Santa Monica, that's probably better than what they have now in a lot of cases, in a lot of places where we're working. So we said we want to create something that isn't just for kids who already have all of these resources and who already have all of these products. And so we went to the Department of Agriculture and said, we want to come up with something that, uh, you know, it's a World of Warcraft model is what we call it, where, you know, you download the actual kind of game component and then it transmits data back. uh, And when there's time, so you don't have to be running everything all over the web because it's not going to work. And so they said, that sounds like a great idea. So they gave us money to build out those games and we've gone from there. And the best part was um, because we didn't necessarily go the traditional VC kind of funding route. We got 101, like I said, 1.3 million from the federal government and that's non-dilutive capital. So we got the money and we kept all the equity. (laughs) Amazing. That's really great. So totally non-dilutive. You have not, oh wow. Yeah, well we did do a small investor round. So we did, Mm. but I mean, yeah, we own between the three of us over 85% of the company right now and had 1.6, almost 1.7 million. Go Maria, that's awesome. (laughs) That's great. Yeah, I think that that's really underrated, those kinds of opportunities. I know a lot of com- some companies, there's a perception that SBIR goes to companies that, that aren't growth focused, but it's amazing to hear when you do see a company that's actually using it to grow their company and do something really important. Yeah. Well, and I think people use it, you know, the idea is, and it varies from my conversation from agency to agency, different, but that's one of the greatest things. And we were interested because when we found out somebody actually, the Department of Education said, you know, well, we're funding other things at the time, but you should look into Department of Agriculture. And we're like, really? And they said, yeah. So when somebody tells you that when you're dealing with, I think, any investor or, you know, agency and they say, we might not fund it, but go talk to this person. You don't try and argue with that person. You should fund me. You go talk to that other person. And at least with us, we've found that there really, really is a big push in, in the agency we're under towards commercialization. So they, you know, we have commercialization support and things like that because, the goal is under those programs, or at least on the one we're under, to create commercial products. Now, you can't use any of that money for sales and marketing, which is why we went out and did some investor fundraising, because you don't want to end up with something really, really great that nobody knows about. Mm-hmm. Um, but let me tell you, if you can get $1.3 million to build your product, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. What resource, is there like one particular resource in L.A. that has been super helpful for you or that you would recommend for other entrepreneurs? Hmm. You know, we've done, you know, I'm trying, there's not one in particular. I think it's kind of shifted over time. Um, we, I think for us, it's been kind of going out and meeting people. And I would say, you know, the meetup groups that we've been in, they've kind of changed from time to time. But I think it's been really just building out our network from a whole bunch of different things. And I, I hate to say, oh, meetup.com is a thing, but that's where we kind of started finding things and then just going to the ones that we thought were a fit. Is there a particular L.A. tech company or an entrepreneur that particularly inspires you or has really impressed you? We, well, we're, two of our, myself and one of my other co-founders are Latina. So we, real one of the companies I really, really like um, is Sabio. It's Sabio L.A. Mm, they yeah. are like a coding boot camp, but they started it. Um, Liliana and Gregorio uh, are the founders. And they started Sabio because they were seeing that there's a lot of underrepresented tech talent um, or underrepresented underrepresentation in the tech industry. And where do you get that talent from? And so it's a coding boot camp, but it's focused on, and it's not only for, but they focus on recruiting folks who are underrepresented in tech. So, uh, you know, whether it's minorities or women, 
and training them and then getting them tech jobs. So we've actually, uh, we got one of our developers from there. Um, and like I said, it's just a really great mission. And like I said, we were very mission driven. So I think for us, finding other companies that are mission driven and looking to improve diversity in the tech industry, we really, really try and do that within our own hires, you know, and making sure that we have a team that is reflective of, to be honest, L.A., because L.A. is a very diverse community and not just the little bubble that we lit, that you can get sucked into in the tech world where everyone kind of fits one mold, which I guess because we don't is why we're maybe more aware of that. So um, that's why, I, like I said, I think they're another really great uh, tech company in L.A. because it's not just saying, oh, there's a problem, but how can we fix and change it? Yeah, that's really cool. What's next for Seven Generation Games? So we are rolling out later this month. Um, our fully bilingual series. So we do have a game that we have an, a bilingual one, but this one is a fully bilingual series. So it's uh, it's going to be, I think, a seven game iPad series. The kids are you know transported back in time uh, because they don't listen to the person who says don't do this. Um, <laughs> and so as you go through it, you play it, and again, it's history, it is math, but it's also fully bilingual. So on every page, there's a button and kids can flip back and forth and they can see it in English or Spanish. They can hear it in English or Spanish. The videos change. Um, And we initially developed it for the ELL market because you were running into places where either they didn't have the ELL support. Like I said, outside of of LA, there's one. uh, Oh, sorry. (laughs) Yeah. ELL being English language learners. So kids who are, uh, you know, English language is their second language. Um, so for those kids, we started finding, you know, there's a, a big variation. Sometimes there's no support in some rural communities. And you do have these kids who have come here and don't speak English and the teachers don't know. Do they not understand the concepts or do they not understand the language? And so this provided a tool for that. And even within places like L.A., the reality is we're in schools here um, and the teachers have these these kids that, you know, in their classes that are not English proficient, but some kids have been here three years. Some have been here for three weeks. How can you connect and reach all of those kids? And then we've started finding people using it. For example, I use it. My daughter, her Spanish could be much better. And so they kind of flip back and forth. And it's this way that you're picking up a second language. You don't have to. You could play through it just in English, but that it kind of is expanding again on that game experience and puts it in this That's kind cool. of non-scary way sometimes. Yeah, you know? I like that idea of being able to learn a second language through that game. Right, so, right. Very, very cool. And and so in this new this new direction you have or whatever do you have a particular ask of the community that you would love for people to be able to help you out with this? Um, buy our games. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, other than yeah, that too, no, like, but yeah, no. I mean, I think for us, it's the big thing is looking around and and we ask you know referrals if there's schools we give games we get donations. Actually, we do a big campaign at Christmas. We did a Kickstarter and it was part of it on Mother's Day. Um, about fund a school because there's a lot of schools it takes like I said it takes that two-year period mm-hmm. before they get it um so we actually give games free to title one schools, so that's low-income schools and we have done a lot of where we can raise money so that people can then pay for those licenses so when you give it you don't have the same hurdles exactly then. yeah yeah okay. I mean you still face some strange hurdles sometimes like well we've got it but it turns out nobody can access the computers <laughs> because we don't have the password to do that um but you know there's a much lower barrier to entry when you do that mm-hmm. and Part of it is just getting it in front of the kids because obviously we want to make money on it. I mean, not just we want to make money on it. Developers don't work for free. Um, so we need to pay our staff and things. But part of it is is getting into kids' hands because we know that it works. And so for us, we want kids to play. We don't just want people to give us money, but we want kids to be playing it because better math scores change 
life outcomes. And that's not just something I say lightly, you know, it leads to higher educational outcomes. More kids graduate from high school, they go on to college, they get better jobs. It transforms lives. And so that's why every day when we're doing what we do, it's not just let's make cool games, but we're thinking about the actual impact that it can have. Um, And so that's, you know, what we work for. And so, like I said, and for us, it's just awareness. You know, if, if there's teachers or things like that, let them know because, you know, part of it's just getting the word out there. How do they learn more? Uh, you can go to sevengenerationgames.com. That's seven, the number. Yep. yep. Seven, the number. Generation games, as in games, plural, dot com. Awesome. So hear that. Spread the word. Buy the game. Support a school. Whatever. It's really been inspiring to hear about what you're doing and the fact that it's actually actually changing kids' lives uh, around the country. So, Maria, thanks so much for joining us at We Are LA Tech. Thank you. Great to have you. To connect deeper into the LA Tech community, go to wearelatech.com slash VIP. And if you want to hear more from Rhea, check out our conversation on the Women in Tech podcast. We do a deeper dive on her story and her journey into tech. And if you love this conversation, you should also check out my podcast, The Art of Manufacturing. It's a behind the scenes look at how entrepreneurs who make stuff are trying to make it in their industries. If you're interested, tune in at artofmfg.com or search for The Art of Manufacturing on your favorite podcast player been great being here. This is Z Holly and for Esprit Devora, thanks for tuning in to We Are LA Tech. We Are LA Tech is independently funded by the community. We couldn't make this happen without your support. If you too want to contribute to We Are LA Tech and see us making the podcast, building the mobile apps, creating the events year after year, consider contributing at patreon.com. That's P A T reon.com slash we are LA tech. Thank you. We appreciate you. Thank you for being a listener of the We Are LA Tech podcast. To support and collaborate with the community, become an MVL most valuable listener at we are LA tech dot love linked in the show notes.